Hello, humans. It's the Vine Down. It's Thursday, your favorite day of the week. I'm Emily Smith, your host. I'm joined by Ashley Hardy. I'm super excited about this show. Today, we're going to talk about one of my very favorite topics. You know me because it's like therapy adjacent. People management is one of my favorite topics. So we're joined by Ashley Hardy, who's the AVP for admission, Dean of Admission at DePaul University. Ashley, thank you for being here. Of course. I'm super excited to be here. Me too. So Ashley and I, as we were preparing for the show, we're talking about some of the topics that are important to us. And the thing that we settled on chatting about was this skill that we often do in our careers. And we're doing it all the time as leaders. And we aspire to do it if you're an individual contributor. And very weirdly, nobody teaches you how to do this often. Like it's this skill that you just get, you expect, you get expected to be able to be good at. Often people get promoted into people management via the Peter principle, which is like, if you're really good at something, we will rise you up through the ranks. And just because you're a good practitioner of this thing, we're going to fork on people management onto your plate on top of that. And without much training, it's a it's not necessarily a natural thing or thing that we we do well. I think what's also interesting is that there are tons of books on business and leadership and strategy. There are not a lot of resources on how to manage people. And we want to give you today a bit of a crash course on how to be a good people manager, because this is something that Ashley has spent a lot of time upskilling. So we have an expert here today. Quick note on housekeeping for those of you out there in LinkedIn land. Please ask us questions in the comments. We do see them. This is a live show. I promise you we would not do a live show. It's not great for our health. But the reason we do it is so that we can get engagement from you all. So please, if you have questions, comments, whether for me or Ashley, probably for Ashley, she's the expert, let us know in the comments. We would love to answer them. So Ashley, we are going to start the way we always do, which is to ask you, please share with us three key lessons you have learned in your career. So three lessons. Um, This first one, I am still learning it, but I feel like I have gotten a lot better with it in that um, there will always be work and the office will survive if I need to take time off. So um, this year, I've had some uninterrupted vacations where I don't take my laptop and things have been fine once I've gotten back. So That has been great to see and to realize. I still struggle with it, but I feel like it's getting a little bit more reinforced. Um, My second thing is just kind of more about myself. So when I need to deliver difficult news or have difficult conversations, my natural tendency is to try to soften the news. Um, So It felt like when I first started having to give a lot of difficult feedback or having those conversations, my message or my point wasn't getting across as clearly as I wanted it to do or to get across. So I have learned that I need to prepare for those conversations. And generally, I have my talking points. I'll walk through what I need to say. Um, so that I go in and I personally just feel more prepared about the things that I need to say and make sure that I'm not losing things in translation. Um, and then my third thing is something I actually saw it on LinkedIn and it was super helpful in helping me determine if I wanted to make a career move. Um, and I cannot think of the person who said it. So I am so sorry for not attributing this to the person, but 
essentially um, the concept is that at every job, you have the opportunity to earn and learn. Um, ideally, at a job, you are doing both of those things. So you're learning from your environment, you're making money, but you should be doing at least one of those things to stay at a job. If you're doing neither of those things, then you should leave. Um, and that was a message that I really, really needed to see and hear where I, based on where I was in my career. Right. Because otherwise you just, if none of those things can be true, like what are you doing? And you, you sort of doesn't meet that criteria of like, this is your one wild and precious life. Like this is your one wild and precious career. Like what are you, what are you going to be doing? But I think it also allows for like, it might be okay if it's just earning for a while. Like mm -hmm. that might be okay in the chapter of life you're in. And similarly, like if you can afford to, it would be okay to just be learning for a little while. It's all, it's like why I went to college. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. And are the RE that first point about being unplugged? I actually want to highlight to the audience like the positioning that you just gave it, which is I am still learning this. Um, to say you have to work on this. There are things that you uh have to work on in that growth mindset of like, I would like to be better at unplugging. And I think also what you didn't say, my words, not yours, but a certain amount of like, and I want to model this for my team to my staff. Um if I think about the worst things that have happened in my career, and I've been in enrollment for 20 years, the worst things that have happened are data related. We got something wrong. We admitted we admitted students we shouldn't have got us in the newspaper. We took a decision uh, decision um, modal offline for overnight when students were waiting to get their decisions. It was incredibly painful. Those things, <laughs> however, nobody died. We're not in this line of work because we save lives, unfortunately. We certainly help lives, but we do not save them. So take your damn vacation. I like that. Mm -hmm. And none of those things are unrelated to the topic we're talking about, which is people management. Love that for us. So Ashley, how did you come to care about upselling, upskilling yourself as a people manager? What, what got you to want to do that? Um, my one of my previous supervisors, we were talking and she was a great super, great supervisor, super dedicated, hardworking, just all the things that you you want in a supervisor cared about us. We knew it. Um, and she just mentioned one day that no one ever taught her to be a supervisor. And at that point in my career, I was waiting on this professional development to come where someone's like, oh, like some fairy would show up and give it to you. Exactly. I'm like, OK, I'm managing people now. This is HR is going to teach me how to be a supervisor outside of the technical things of how to approve vacation. And when she said it, it was really a I stopped and I thought about, wow, first of all, she's really, really great at this and no one taught her. So I asked her and she said, I just, I had to learn on my own. And that is when I realized, oh, I am responsible for becoming a good supervisor and learning how to do this and recognizing where my weaknesses are and where I need to get better. And so I think the first thing was just awareness and really oh, like someone it. telling you nobody's coming, like nobody's coming exactly. for you on this skill. Got it. Okay, yeah. I, so I really was. You enter the world alone. Yes. I was like, okay, like I, I just got promoted. I'm a manager now. Like this is, they're going to put a calendar. Like, yeah. No. 
Yeah, yeah someone, so, someone will call me in. Okay, so no yeah. one's coming. Then what did you do? Like, okay, so then you started on this journey, which obviously like never ends as we are people manager managers. But like, um, what are some of the first things, or maybe not the first things because you don't need to go chronologically, but what were the so, some of the most sort of compelling things that you consumed? Um, so I tend to be, I tend to be really hard on myself. So I started Weird. From a high achieving woman in admissions. Shocking. Right. Yeah. So I started from a place of, oh, no one's coming to help me with this. And I feel I need to get really better. I need to get better at just managing the the human side of my team. I am pretty type A introverted. Um, and for my team, when they love work, it is so easy for me to mm. relate to that. But I also had some employees who were great where work wasn't their entire life. Um, and that was a concept that I felt like I just wasn't supporting as much as I, I could have. So it really started from a point of, I don't think I'm great here. So let me go find some resources. Um, and my mentor at the time was really great about one, um, just telling me, hey, you're being way too hard on yourself. You need to you're, you're okay. You want to learn, you recognize you're fine. Um, but it was a lot of LinkedIn learning. It was Googling things. It was asking um, people at conferences or people that I thought were really great supervisors. Hey, how do you handle this? Um, I have someone who comes in late a lot and I feel like we're having the same conversation. Um, this is what I'm telling this person. Like, would you do it any differently? Um, so I would just say it was so much of it honestly was Googling and just asking people, hey, what resources are, are out here for me? Yeah, a combination of sort of getting curious and opening your mouth, I think are really brave choices you can make in, in learning about this. And I think you're saying like, you also sort of saw very early on or, or now can say, articulate, even if it's it's in your rearview mirror to say, when my team is in a well-adjusted place as like a group of humans the work goes better. And I would argue very distinctly that a manager's, you have two jobs as a manager. One, get work, get, enable people to do work. Okay. And I'm very specific about that because there's such a change from individual contributor, you are responsible for delivering the thing to a change into getting other people to deliver work. That's number one. And number two, attracting and retaining top talent. Yes. And I think from your perspective, like you can see the downstream outcome of that thing, which is like, if the people aren't happy, well-adjusted and well uncared for, I will not get good work out of those people. They will not be top talent, nor will we be able to retain them, which from like the institution as a business standpoint um, is really important because we could spiral out into like staffing crisis. But I will just say that it is far more expensive to recruit new talent than it is to retain good talent. Um so uh, that's just a note on like being very intense about your hiring decisions and very intent about the way that you treat your team, as you're saying. Yeah, I really had to make the shift personally. I think when I first started managing people, I really thought if I don't get this person to stay in love enrollment management, I like I'm failing. And it really took a shift in me recognizing that you know what, to be the best manager, like not everyone's going to stay in enrollment management and that is okay. But how do I help prepare them for 
what they want to do next. So if someone's interested in HR, there are a lot of different ways that I can show them components of HR in admissions. So whether it's managing student employees, whether it's bringing them into the onboarding process. Um, but I think sometimes we tend to want people to make those connections themselves. Um, but if I really recognize, like, no, like, I need to prepare people not just for admissions, but for whatever they do after. Yeah, well, you, I think that's really interesting. This is something you shared with me in prep for the show was that you really like changed your view of what an effective manager would be when you thought sort of pulled back to view like a, the biggest part of my job is to be a career coach. And I would argue, so one of the key resources that I follow as a people manager is a book called The Effective Manager by Mark Horstman. And this is like a completely unsexy book. It looks like it was written in like the 1980s. Maybe it was. There's a second edition out with like some updated graphics. But like the three pillars there are like what makes you a good manager are one-on-ones, coaching, um, and and delegation. And you're saying like this is a, a key part of coaching that you know, you can pull back to view like an admissions leader as career coach. And the words you used with me in prep that I'll bring up here for the audience is like discerning fit in admissions. And part of that was like interest. And I sort of say like the things that you're interested in are typically also the things that you're good at. And that example of like, you know, HR related things, like oh, I'm interested in HR, like you make this station stop on like, let's make sure that HR, like, we don't know that HR might not be there for you in your work in admissions. Like, see if we can go find it. What happens if they're asking for something in their career in your sort of coaching of them, like, that isn't available for them? Like, what might you do if you're like, okay, you're asking for, um, I can't even think of a skill that wouldn't be involved in admissions. Like, I don't know, like manual labor. Like, I really want to go like work on a farm and like move bales of hay. What would you say to that person to like help coach them out in a in a good way that would feel good to them? Yeah, I think a part of it is one, not doing all the talking and asking open-ended questions mm. and asking them what do they hope to get out of um, this job. And I think you can, um, I've called it out in subtle ways sometimes of, hey, you know what? Um, when you talk about this aspect of your job, you are so excited, but when we talk about this part, you're you're not like. Am I picking up on that properly? Um, and then just allowing them to speak and asking, okay, how do I support you? That is, that's a question that I ask so so much of my team, just even in our one on ones, and just I try to make sure that it's not just me driven that my team has the opportunity to say, I'm interested in this, let's work on it, or I expect to get this. Um, I think we see a lot of times with, especially counselors, they come in and they say, I'm here for one or two years. And it's like, okay, well, it takes you a year to really see admission. So this one year is going to be really insightful for you. Um, we'll keep checking in and see, like, see how you feel. But what are, what do you like? What are you enjoying about it? What don't you enjoy? And being really honest about, no, that that's a big part of the job. If you don't enjoy that, this may not be the best fit for you, but 
I think also reassuring that you're not going to just kick someone out if they say, I don't enjoy this or I'm struggling with this right now. Well, you're playing like wicked 3D chess right now and you're not even calling it out because you're saying like essentially like there's enough psychological safety in within your organization that that would be okay for someone to say like, I am here for a short time. I'm here for a good time. And you're like, okay, like I can work with that and, and what that might mean. But you're also saying that like when you're you're listening to somebody or doing even um, like a, an unofficial performance evaluation of somebody, you're sort of noticing like you're you bring a lot of energy and affect into this, but like over here, not so much. Like, can you tell me more? And that like non-judgmental curiosity is such a good way to comport yourself as a manager because it builds on psychological safety. It also builds loyalty. So I'm guessing that occasionally you will have people who are like, I'm here for a year. And then like three years later, you're like, it's promotion time. You're still in it because you've created all this psychological safety within the org, right? Yeah. And I think a part of creating that safety is also asking for feedback. Um, so, hey, is there anything I can be doing better as a manager for you? Um, I talk to my team a lot about Ashley problems. Um, sometimes what I find is my team will, they won't, they don't bring something to me because they want to make my life easier or because they view it as complicating something. And I'm like, no, that's my job. It's a, that's an Ashley problem. And I probably, if I would have known about that sooner, I could have solved it in five minutes. Um, so we try to, I try to make sure that I am asking them and also just observing them. Um, I have one team member where if they bring me something, it is a large issue because mm. it takes them a lot to really call out things. And so I know, okay, this is, this is actually way bigger than this person's telling me. I have other people where it's just like the sky is a little, gray little. Today. yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm a little down and this is going to be affected because of it. And you're just, you just kind of meet people where they where they are, but also just know enough about their personalities to know when they're bringing something to the table. Yeah, right. And I think like knowing your people is just like a, such a core tenant of this. I would argue that the the best way to get to know your people, aside from like establishing good culture and being clear about what your role is as a manager. But one-on-ones is typically a key ritual that most organizations and offices use to establish relationships so that you would, sorry, you would know your people. And I'm curious, Ashley, how you conduct one-on-ones, like how you structure them. We have not, uh, we have not prepped on this because I have like a idea about how I conduct one-on-ones. And I'm curious, mm -hmm. how do you conduct your one-on-ones? And do you, is that the right way to get to know people in terms of like, is this the chicken little person or is this the like, wow, if you're bringing this to me, this is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I start with one-on-one. So I guess I have two different structures for my more senior team. I meet with them weekly um, and we have 45 minute one-on-ones. And then for my newer counselors, um, I have a relatively flat structure, so I don't have a director of recruitment. And so what I do is we have um, someone that mentors our newer employees. So I meet biweekly with them. And then in the off weeks, they meet with the person that's mentoring them. But I always start every one-on-one with um, my team members, whatever they want to bring to the table. 
So we always start with their, their issues. And so um, I tell them, Hey, what's on your mind? Let's start us off. Um, And we have a, a good, I have a good framework of like, sometimes when someone's dealing with a lot um, or if someone's like a more chatty employee of, I have my one-on-one structure to where I generally know this person is, they're just an efficient person. They're, they're quieter. They're not going to talk as much. Like they're likely not going to go over. This person may go over. So I structure them in a way to where people can get that in. But we always start with their, their items. Um, Right now in guilt season, um, I ask them to bring to the table just kind of a quick territory update um, for operations. Hey, what are you struggling with? Um, where where can I help out? And then we go to my items, which are normally kind of priority feedback. Um, this is coming down the pipeline. Um, how can I support you? And then we always end with our to-do items. Um, so this is what I got from the meeting. This is what I have you down for. Am I missing anything? Um, do you feel okay? And then that's kind of how we how we do our one-on-ones. Okay, cool story. I structure my one-on-ones almost identically to that. Um, and I feel very intense about that top part of the meeting being for the team member, not for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, It's a, it's a, an establishing trust move. And I really like the question, the specific question you ask, because I think a lot of new managers struggle with like, literally like, what do I do with my hands? Like, what do I say here? And I think that what you said was what's on your mind. And I think that is actually the question I most often use to kick off one on ones, which is what's on your mind. Um, the switch I make, if I'm with a particularly chatty employee is what's important for me to know. And that shift uh, tends to like naturally organize their thinking a little bit. I also, what sometimes you'll get employees, particularly in admissions, because like we're all in it for like the good feeling and the human aspect of it. Um, We like to know each other at work. And I also think this is important. So if you ask an employee what's on your mind and they give you an answer about their cat. Okay, cool. Like that's, that's important that I know about. I will write that down that we talked about the cat on the next one-on-one. I will ask about the cat. Now, if every meeting is about the cat or the kids or the snowplow or like whatever, I'm, I would probably give that person some feedback to say like, okay, in asking that question, it's really important for me to know what's going on you, the human. And also I need to know like things like where you're blocked, what you're spending a lot of time on, where you're spending more time than you had planned. Um, but that question what's on your mind can really be like a really important part of um, getting that meeting started in a really functional way. Yeah. And we tend to, I also on Fridays, I do office hours. And so I have a hybrid team. Um, So most of my team is in the office, but I have three team members who are remote. So on Fridays, I just have um, two 45-minute sessions where it's just like pop in if you have a question, have a concern. It's just people know that I'm here. So a lot of the kind of like little things, people tend to drop off there. Um, and then during the one-on-ones, it's more of like, I'm getting stuck here. Or um, can we talk through strategy on these students? Yeah. 
So a big piece of um, one-on-ones is feedback and that sort of continuous feedback that you're sort of saying is natural. Um, do you have any perspectives or frameworks that you bring to feedback? I know that that dovetails with the difficult conversation piece a little bit that like when you're giving difficult feedback, you might have to to do something a little bit differently. But when you're giving feedback, can you share more about that framework? And you said this at the top, like it's easier, for, it, it goes better if I'm very clear about the feedback, but tell me more about your perspective on feedback. Yeah, has to be immediate. Um, one of my, I, I don't believe in someone being blindsided during a performance evaluation. Um, so we, in addition to the general performance evaluation, we also do like mid-year performance evaluations where we kind of go through and say, here's where we are, here's what we want to work on. And then the team is bringing, here's what I need from you. Um, But it has to be immediate. If there's ever an issue um, addressing it, Um, depending upon how big it is, sometimes it's uh, like, hey, this happened. It cannot happen. I have to address this right now. Other times it's a, hey, like you said this during an info session, let's change the language to this because of X, Y, and Z. Um, I also think for feedback, um, just knowing, again, knowing your team personality is super important. Um, I think a lot of times you can attribute incorrect assumptions just based on how someone's responding if you don't understand um, their personality. So some people have to, can digest it right in the moment. Others are, they need to sit with it um, and process it and then probably come back with more questions. So I also think just knowing your team and how they process feedback. Um, And we university-wide, we do something called insights training. Hmm. So it makes it a little bit easier for us because across the university, we all have the same language. Yeah. I I actually want to put in the insights stuff on a shelf for just a second because it's really important. Mm -hmm. Two things I want to get back to before we move on to the insights training, because that's a really important way that you have gotten to know your team and to know your peers and colleagues. I think it's really cool. We'll jump into that in a second. I do want to remind the audience because I know we have a ton of people watching. Um, we are live. Please comment. Please ask us questions. If there's something you want us to dig in on, we totally will. So please let us know what's on your mind in the comments. Um, so Ashley, getting back to this feedback piece, one of the things that I like to do when giving feedback, I, I totally agree. Like it should be immediate. It should be like as close to the thing as 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 possible. You you covered so many good things, but two additional tips that I want to heap onto your awesome wisdom about feedback. Um, in addition to it being immediate, a really great way to get buy-in or to sort of prime the pump for somebody to hear you well is to ask if it's a good time and to ta- say, hey, I have some feedback for you. Is now a good time? And it primes the person to be like, okay, I'm about to hear something. I also think that we can do some professional development. We did a bind down on difficult conversations several months ago. It's a topic I'm really passionate about, but you can train your team on like, if you start to panic, here are the things that are happening in your body. And like, when you hear the word feedback might be one of those times. So here's how you can carry for yourself in that moment. But assuming that you've got sort of like an emotionally healthy team asking or to say like, hey, I've got some feedback for you is now a good time is a great way to get you both ready. And that's another one of things like I, I, as everyone on earth knows, like I speak off the cuff most frequently 
But that is a phrase that like gets me in the right mindset, gets them in the right mindset that I will almost always use is now, hey, I have some feedback, is now a good time. The other thing that I really want to call out as a tip to give feedback is that the framing of the conversation and the feedback, and you did this naturally, you did not say to the audience that this is what you were doing, but I want to slow it down because it's really important. Even in the example you gave about, hey, you said this in an info session, let's say this instead. Implicit in that is that you are focusing your feedback on the impact to the business and you are not giving character assassination to a choice that the person made. They're really different things. Like if you think about the times you fought with like your partner, your spouse, your friends, like whatever, it may feel really good to like be a bucket emptier and be like, you're a bad person. That's not what we're talking about. You are saying like, when you said this about DePaul Athletics, it's actually damaging the brand because of X, Y, and Z, right? You're putting into context of the business impact versus just like you made the bad choice and that's a you problem. Um, so I think that will help that like framing on like really focusing on the, the impact to the business versus a character assassination. That's something like is a flaw in the person or that their personality um, really makes feedback land better. Um, it's definitely more work appropriate. Um, also just edge I think viewing it as education it's yes um, I general I always tell people I am someone I don't hold on to things so if I give you feedback it truly is here's the feedback let's about that behavior exactly we're we're not gonna harp on it and so um, I've had team members sometimes who are they come into a meeting and they're just a little down and I'm like what is what's what's up what's up and they're like, oh, I'm still thinking about this. And I'm like, Wait, what are you thinking about? And then they're explaining it. And I'm like, no, like you that you receive the feedback. It's not gonna happen again. We're working on it. Let me know if you need some items and let's move on. What great modeling though, because you're like co-regulating with that person in that moment to be like, I hear that you're concerned and here's how I view it. Like we can we can move forward from there. I think that's awesome. Okay, let's dive into the the insights because I know this is something you use. Is it something that's used across all of DePaul or just in the admissions office? Across all of DePaul. Okay, can you tell us what's, what this insights training is and does? Yeah, so insights training, it is a personality um, assessment. And what we do is we have different colors. Um, so it's essentially, it's like Myers-Briggs, Strength Finder, but it is just the one assessment that the university uses. Our HR team actually administers it um, and they will come in and um, sit down with your team, have you do the um, personality assessment, and then they'll go over the results um, and just kind of highlight, okay, so if this person is this color, this may be how they show up. This is how they handle conflict. Um, this is what's important to them and how they frame their work. Um, but insights is just one tool. Um, I mean, I've seen, I really like DISC. Um, that was super helpful for me. Mm -hmm. um, Myers-Briggs. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily like your personality, like, is so much bigger than a test. And in law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But it's a framework of in a way of providing language for everyone. Yeah. Well, and I like that across the institution, you all have the same language, which is just like a starting point. It's And you're saying like, I understand that human beings are complex, but 
this is a starting point. It gives us a framework. And I agree. Like, I think any framework is better. Um, and there are tons of like free ways to do this within your admissions team too, to get to, to know each other. And one thing admissions does do well is to, to do stuff like this on retreats. Um, so definitely insights is something available to you. Disc strengths, finders, uh, Myers-Briggs, lots of different things that are facilitated or free. Um, but just a starting off point to gain trust, get to know your team better, and then operate on those things, knowing that they're imperfect or incomplete. Um, but it's a framework. It's something to get started on. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And it also allows them to get to know you better and to know what's important to you. Um, I think it's really also really great just for helping to understand how to deliver communication mm -hmm. to people. Um, and then we all get like, these little blocks that a lot of people display in their office. Um, the language, you may hear someone, so like I'm blue, which means give me details. Um, and then red, be brief, be bright, be gone. Um, green, show me you care. Yellow, involve me, um, which is like the, I think I'm like 3% yellow in HR question. Hey, how with your job, that must be really difficult for you that you must expend a lot of energy. Um, but you will hear people say, oh, my blue's coming out. Like, I need more details. Can you clarify that? Or, hey, like, I'm feeling a cool. little excluded. Um, like, let's get together for, for lunch and talk through this. Or, um, so it's also, it can be a crutch sometimes where you- Oh, you for bad behavior? Like, uh, <laughs> like- it, yes. Also for like sometimes where you're like, ooh, I don't know. I don't necessarily know how to say this um, and get the information I need. So I'm going to say like, oh, I need more details. Like that's my blue. Um, but it's across the university. Um, everyone's done it. Our cabinet and president have done it. So people are aware of what their colors are. So it's just really great and kind of the, um, the framework that HR does around it is super helpful to have conversations with your team. Yeah. It's a really interesting way too, that you can call it to be like, like, uh, I think here's why this is coming online for me because it indicates a bit of like self-curiosity, but also invites the other person in to sort of like fully see and hear you, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, well, thank you for sharing with us about insights training. That's not something that I was familiar with. Um, I like the Legos. Those are pretty cool. Um, so Ashley, we are out of time. And our last question that we always ask because, oh my gosh, what a time to be alive and enrollment right now. So much is happening. Um, we like to end with a little bit of a hopeful note. And I'm curious from your perspective, we end the way we always do in the higher ed leader series, asking what you're excited about in the, in the six months ahead, like what's coming up for you that you're excited about? I'll give you a couple of items. Um, Work-related, I am reading a book, um, The One Minute Manager Manages um, or Meets the Monkey, um, and it's all about delegating, um, which is something that is, has, it's really changed my framework and helped me think of delegating as professional development for my team. Um, and yes. hey, you know what? I am not the my team is very capable. I am not the only one who knows how to do these things. Um, and then, nor should I be doing some of the no, things it's, that I'm doing. It's your job to get results through other people, which is so hard when you're the type A person going, going no, I don't want to do this. But no, your yes. job is to get results through others. 
Yes, it's been super helpful. I've had um, conversations with my supervisor about it and she's been super supportive. And there's one moment where I told someone I don't have the capacity to do that. So I would really appreciate it if you did it. And she came in my office and she's like, I'm really proud of you for doing that. So it's great to have someone there who understands my goals and what I'm trying to do. Um, and then personal, um, I there are two trips. I am really trying to make a trip to Iceland happen. Um, cool. And then get in the lagoon. I've never been there. This year is going to be so great for the Northern Lights, and that is on my bucket list. Um, and then Portland, Maine is a trip that right before the pandemic was canceled. Um, and so we are finally getting around to getting that out of the revenge weekend. tour. It's your revenge tour. Okay, when you're when you are in Maine, I want you to call me. And when you're in Maine, I'm going to sing the Maine State song to you over the phone to celebrate you being in Maine. I will sing it to you. I went to summer camp in Maine for a long time, and it is a joyful celebration of the state of Maine. Those sound awesome. Yeah, and work will still be here, and things will be okay. Crazy how that happens—that you could go out and be a human on Earth and experience these things without your laptop. Amazing. Great. Ashley, thank you so much for being here. I super appreciate your time and your talent on this topic. Um, audience, please let us know if you have questions or feedback or comments for us after the fact. Next week on The Vine Down, we have Jenny Petty um, from Montana. I'm super excited to have Jenny, a marketing manager in an enrollment podcast or a chief marketing officer in an enrollment podcast. It's going to be super fun. Um, and you'll also see some uh, FAFSA tidbits coming out from College Vine. Um, over the week ahead because wow. All right. Thanks so much for being here, Ashley. I super appreciate you. Of course. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Cool. Have a great afternoon, folks. Take, take care.